this is the one with racist Danny Zuko. Who's redoing time after doing time. Excessive padlocking. Excessive raffling. And not Banksy. Or is it? It's called Rosa. Here we go. Here we go. Massive delay. (laughs) Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's hour. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow. Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Echo Center with Ticker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join Join us on this side and see what other other choice could there be. But who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond, welcome to another fantastic international episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Dogpast. That's right, this is N147, Rosa, otherwise known as The Maximum. And I have a maximum, and indeed minimum, of two amazing co-hosts that you're going to be hearing from over the next X hours. One of whom is in Berlin, and her name is... Hi, it's Marie. Hello, podcast land. And hello, yes, it is. Her name is unchanged. Hello, Marie. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome to 13th Doctor land and indeed Montgomery, Alabama. And who else is joining us in the nifty 50s? Why, in Oxford, it's the one, the only. It's me. It's Leon. Hello, Drew. Hello, Marie. Hello, podcast land. I don't know why I said it like that. Well, that's us introduced. So, high level. High level. I think I super like it, but I also think it's... Ah! Very non-Doctor Who-y in parts, so it's a really Ooh. interesting one. <gasps> uh, a jinx, Drew. <laughs> I may have been studying your mannerisms for the last seven years. <laughs> <laughs> I am super curious to hear more about that assessment, Marie. Hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I too am of the opinion that high level, this is a uh, a good episode. I don't necessarily think that it's non Doctor Who-y, but I do think that it is. It misses out on a few other things. I really appreciate this for the way it inverts some of the usual Doctor Who tropes and roles for companions, and indeed the Doctor. So I really like it, and I want to love it, but I can't quite. Oh, what a tease! <laughs> <laughs> Well, rather than going on titillating, shall we start to release Podcast Land with a bit of a B-scale? Oh, let's. You had me at both titillating and release, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize, so take a view, and grab a brief, and listen to this overview, this free-for-all, we like to call a a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The TARDIS steadfastly refuses to land in Sheffield before the 13th Doctor's investigated a mysterious Artron energy trace, popping up where it shouldn't, in 1955 Montgomery, Alabama, Deep South, USA. Oddly, quiet, dignified seamstress Rosa Parks is at the heart of the anomaly. Seems a Storm Cage alumnus has made it his mission to sneak back in time and salt the earth before the civil rights movement can flower. With a mere nudge able to knock history forever off course, can Doc and the fam get their new friend Rosa arrested without Ryan getting lynched? Meanwhile, way out in the lonely gulf of space between Mars and Jupiter, a 2.2 mile long asteroid spins unseen through the void. In 2010, it's discovered and given a number, asteroid 284496, but no name. Then it's named after Rosa Parks. This means nothing. It flows ever on. The end. Biscow over. Sie sind willkommen. <laughs> Bitte schön. <laughs> <laughs> so international. <laughs> Where are we starting? Both of you have announced controversial opinions. I want to hear all about them. Well, 
In keeping with the international theme that I have loosely draped over this episode, how many Americans do you think were in the cast for this one, with a whole <laughs> array of Alabaman slash American accents? Are you suggesting that there are hardly any? Well, I've done my research, and that seems to be the case, and oh, I was wow. surprised. That is surprising, because it was shot, in part, in Montgomery, Alabama. Was it? I didn't realise that. Yeah, I looked it up. It was shot in Montgomery, Alabama, and in South Africa, another place with a somewhat related history. Yeah. I saw that the guy who played, was it uh, Blake the Snake, was Canadian. Yes, he's on IMDb as British Canadian. Oh, right, okay. Apologies, Blake the Snake. Whatever your name is. Something white. Jeremy White. White guy. That's what it was. (laughs) Trevor White. (laughs) (laughs) I have a sneaking suspicion that the giant cavernous building doubling as the bus depot is the same place where the doctor set off the EMP yeah. in um, the ghost monument. So that might be the South African element. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's very true. But, okay, I want to draw people's attention to Vinette Robinson, who plays Rosa. Where do you think she is from? I have no idea. I do I do remember thinking that accents were all a little bit, like, OTT, but I always think when you hear, like, vintage film, like, people spoke differently back then, so it always sounds a little bit weird to the ear anyway, so I would not oh be my dear talk. Marie, whatever <laughs> makes you say such a thing? Lord and Lord and Miss Marie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> The the very idea, Marie. Oh. I do declare. <laughs> oh, good heavens! This is giving me such a fright. <laughs> yeah, no, right. you're, it's um. such a good point. That that because it's a bit period and a bit fifties, it can be a bit skew if a bit over the top. Yeah. What was her name again? Vinette. Vinette Robinson. She's been on Doctor Who before. She was in forty two. Yeah, yeah. This isn't even her first Chris Chibnall episode. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's written by Chris Chibnall. Uh. I don't remember if I like 42. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Drew's shaking his head, podcast land. Um, is she not English? She's from Bradford. Oh, right, there you go. Yeah. Is she? Wow. Yeah. I think she does a spiffing job of the accent, but I'm not an expert. Yeah, me neither. But I, yeah, I was fully convinced that she was at least American. Yeah. 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 The way that she said, say, or something instead of say. It, yes, it, yes, <laughs> exactly. It was the same every time. It was completely bizarre to my ears but she had clearly practiced the crap out of it literally pushed all the crap to one side (laughs) (laughs) also i i was amazed that she is the copper in sherlock who really hated sherlock and suspected him of being the villain that's where i recognized her from yes you're absolutely right oh my goodness oh yeah she's a real dick in sherlock (laughs) (laughs) she's she's the copper everyone loves to hate This is all leading up to me saying I was bowled over by her in this episode. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Terrific performance. Am I kind of right in assuming that she's also somewhat... I don't know if she's playing out of her age. I I, I don't know how old she is. I don't know how old Rosa Parks was at the time. Well, I suppose 42 was a while ago. It seems like she's a much older character here than she was in 42. You know, like more than the difference in between episodes. Do you want to know how old Rosa Parks was in 1955? Yeah, go for it. 42. Okay, that freaks me out. That's why we cast (laughs) Vinette Robinson. (laughs) How old are you? Perfect. 
She's she is forty one now. Oh, right really? now. Right oh. now. Yeah. 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 So she was playing someone older than us. Yeah, I feel like maybe that came across a little bit. And maybe I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, I I couldn't do that. <laughs> so yeah, well done. How how do you think it came across? I'm interested. She appeared to be playing an older person, is all I'm saying. Like uh, older than she was. Well, yeah, in her how? gait, in oh. her voice, in everything, you know, in, in all of her mannerisms. Yeah, acting. You know, she acted older. <laughs> She acted with maturity and gravitas of a woman wise beyond her years. Yeah, or, or at least, let's say, five years beyond her actual years, <laughs> you know, yeah. whenever this episode adds. But she also yeah. but she also played a woman 12 years younger than that in the, like, in the beginning, because it jumps forward 12 years. Oh, yeah. <gasps> That's range. That is 17 years worth of range, in fact. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Did they? But did they yeah, change awesome. it? Did they, did they try and age her in those twelve years? I don't remember the forties and early fifties being rocket fuel powered years for fashion developments. Really? No, probably not. Well, hmm. It probably seemed like it at the time. I'm just looking at some screenshots. I don't. I don't think there's any yeah. real difference. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I thought twelve years is a big jump without doing anything to make her make a distinction. Well, I suppose though that. A black person in Montgomery, Alabama, is not trying to draw attention to themselves. This is her outfit that flies under the radar as far as possible, and she's sticking with it, because that's what keeps her out of trouble. Also, like, no one in this episode is kind of standing out. The person who stands out, the only person who stands out is the doctor in her, like, insanely flamboyant coat with multicolored whatever, lapels, or whatever it is. Everyone else is very, yeah, square. Uh, oh, um, possibly with one exception. Oh, sorry, go for it. Oh. No, well, I was gonna say, like, the outfits bother me a little bit, actually, because normally when we, Ooh. like, have a, like, go back in time um, thing, like, they, he sends, you know, whoever off to the wardrobe and it's like, find yourself an outfit from the right era. And he didn't. None of the companions got dressed up. And it's like, they're wearing things that, like, probably were around at that style, but they don't fit in with, uh, at that time, sorry, but they don't fit in with the style of what everyone else is wearing. Like, the men are more in suits. And then, like, yeah. Graham's got a leather jacket. And I don't know. And, like, I think whatever uh, Yaz is wearing looks really modern. Yeah. And, I mean, Doc looks like she's straight out of a circus or something, or, so, or some sort of mental asylum. In 1955, someone sees them and was like, what's, what's wrong with your trousers? <laughs> And your lapels, while I'm at it. In general, I, th I think that's super duper spot on. And I think it's indicative of something... I didn't consider the, the fashion side of it, but it's indicative of something else that I, I made a note of, and that's that they seem to think that there's kind of a perception filter around them as well. Like, in general, they act as though either they don't know what the social norms are in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955, or as though no one can see them for who they really are. Yeah, it's sort of like <clears throat> or hear them talking loudly on the bus about what they're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Including Ryan, the black guy, standing next to James Blake, the racist bus driver, saying, yeah, I just shot a guy into the past. I think that's right. Now we've got to fill up the bus so Rosa doesn't stand up. And James Blake just says, go round the back. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, those would be negative aspects of this episode. Yes, definitely. <laughs> 
freaking Blake the Snake? What is he thinking? Does he think that Graham is some sort of... Graham is like Loki in this episode. Exactly. James Blake. <laughs> he turns up everywhere, in every guise. He is a hustler <laughs> in a pool club, <laughs> an obsessive fisherman, and some sort of bus company bureaucratic stooge. <laughs> What's going on? I mean, James Blake must think he's in the middle of a waking nightmare, seeing Graham again. And yet, and yet when Graham's there, he doesn't then chuck him off the bus. Once he says, what the hell are you doing here? He's like, okay, well, you brought me the bus, so I yep. guess you've earned yourself a seat. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you can go as far as you like. All aboard. Where are my fish? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> uh, what did you guys think of... Um... Uh, Danny Zuko of, uh, what's his face? Hang on, I made a note of it. Uh, Crasco. That's not his name. He's the time bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the time bastard. Well, he wasn't trying to play American, was he? I mean, he, he put on an American accent when he talked to Rosa Parks, but... That's right. He spoke to the doctor in plain British. Yeah, that's right. I thought his villainy, it wasn't perhaps the most effective, but it was individual. It was a take on it that I hadn't really seen. I don't quite know how to describe it. Okay, he's a cartoonish dickhead, but he's not the same as all the other cartoonish dickheads. I think he's not a cartoonish dickhead. I kind of wish that he were cartoonish. There's no hyperbole to him. It's all just like, yeah, I'm racist. Why? I'm not going to tell you. It's not in the script. We get to know so incredibly little about him, whereas most of the cartoonish dickheads are like the master. They're just like, I'm going to take over the world <laughs> you know and this guy's just I don't, I, don't, I don't like black people i feel like what? that came out of nowhere as well like obviously it's all around rosa parks and stuff yes. and so but i feel like i wanted there to be a like a deeper darker ulterior motive and then he was just like yo go on and get rid of your kind whatever and it's like where, where the heck did that come from there was no real build-up it wasn't like he'd He'd been interacting with them all. He'd never said anything like to Ryan or about Ryan or anything until that point. Exactly. So, yeah. Oh, that's a yeah. He could have shown a little distaste before that face-off in the dark street. I mean, is this the only time he's screwed with time? Has he gone to other time periods before this particular episode and uh, and messed with stuff? And have a, they all been racist in nature? That's a great question the Doctor could have asked. Yeah, we mm. never find out any of this stuff. There yeah. could have been a case where she scans his, uh, what's it called? The the time bracelet thingy. Uh, the war... Oh, crap. The Vortex. Captain Jack thing. Vortex manipulator. Bingo bongo. Oh, and just looks at her sonic and goes, ah, so this is your first trip. Or, ah, you also went to XYZ, you know. And then they'd have to go back to XYZ and fix that as well. Yeah, exactly. But no. Nah, it's yeah, not it's as weird. neat, though, is it? No, it's not as neat. But they, they could... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know. I feel like we don't get to know this dude at all. And I remember very distinctly the first time that I... I've only watched this episode or seen this episode twice, I think, now. So the first time when it first aired, I remember thinking, ooh, this is clearly going to be a return baddie like he, there's there's mileage mm. in this character they've sent him off somewhere do we even find out where like is he now being hunted by t-rexes or have they have they sent him did, did ryan inadvertently send him like straight into a clan meeting in the wild west or something and actually he's really in his element like we, we don't know anything but at the same time if he had done all the classic things and given his backstory and said this is exactly where i've been and so on and so forth wouldn't, wouldn't we be saying oh what a blooming info dump of a character 
Yeah, but if they're teasing him, they're not they're not telling us anything about him, but they're teasing that there is something something about this character. If he then did return, then we could learn what put him in prison in the first place, and so on and so forth. Clearly, yeah, he was cause... thrown back into the distant primeval past and is actually the founder of the Stenza race, and they will be going back to desolation <laughs> any minute now. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan sends him back in, in time, and he... <laughs> in the f- finale of the 13th Doctor era, we see a sort of flashback slash flash forward where he appears and face plants in a bowl of teeth. <laughs> he sits back up and they're just like teeth in his face and he's like, oh, I will have my revenge. And then we know, holy shit, <laughs> it's you. Actually, that is a good point because the stens- the teeth in Tim Shaw's face are all implants and mm-hmm. he's only blue because it's so really, really cold. So yeah, there it could be some weird human offshoot that gave themselves a different name. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Retro rewrite. <laughs> Did you like him in general, though? Was he, a, was he, a, you know, was he palatable as bad guys go? I feel like palatable's fair. <laughs> I, <yeah. laughs> okay. I think I give think him I've, a place on my palate. I, I struggle to form like a strong opinion either way about. It. I think that, I think I really wanted to like him, and I think maybe there were points where him and Doc had like good chemistry, or like there were when they were stood on top of the two whatever they were the little like round oil tanks thing. like that was a really cool like standoff and i and like yeah and he set up as this really evil like he killed two thousand people or possibly more and it, like he's yeah. got this really like evil dark side and he do, you know he doesn't obviously show any regret about it so yeah it's like i think he has a, like, like lots of good setup to be a really good character but there was just something Maybe it just wasn't all pulled together in the end. I really, really liked though when Doc worked out that he had whatever the brain implant was that like meant he couldn't harm someone. And then she's just yeah. like, "Yeah, fuck you, like, oh, I'm going to take your mound. Exactly. That was really fun. Oh, that that is such one, a solid scene. That's one of the mm. best visuals of the well. Just it's a great visual. Um, when he is throttling her and she is grinning at him because she <laughs> like, knows there it goes, there it goes. Yeah, he can't finish it off, and she's just like, "Yeah, yeah, you're going to be on the floor in a minute." You fucker, you bastard. Yeah, you keep trying. <laughs> Does seem like maybe he could just squeeze a little harder and circumvent the problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? If they were on a cliff's edge while he did that, then that microchip would do nothing. <laughs> like his reconditioning, mm. his rehabilitation would be pointless. <laughs> yeah. But the, also, but he like, knows is, that what he's... Oh, sorry, go for it. Well, this is the reason why I think he'd make a really interesting, like, return villain as well, because he can't yes. do the things... He can't just, like, pull a gun or whatever and, like, kill people the normal way. This is why he was messing with time in this, like, gentle nudging way, because he's not intentionally causing yes, people exactly. harm, but it will have the ripple effect. And so to see a villain that was really evil but had this constraint, like, that would be so interesting. Yeah, it would be cool, because yes. him and his entire species would have to, instead of killing people, keep them in this weird weird liminal state between life and death where uh, they're, they're never quite killed i'm glad that <laughs> that's oh yeah now i get it uh, i'm glad that you phrased it that way though because what is his species is he human is he human from the future i kind of took him to be a human from the future and just like you know there's always like a little sector of society that just won't accept that we've moved on and and they you know white supremacy reigns even in like the far distant future but you know this must be like the year thirty-five thousand or something (laughs) and he's really he's still thinking "Mm, yeah that rosa parks (laughs) 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 that's the domino (laughs) that's (laughs) That's the first brick (laughs) 
<laughs> not that Martin it, Luther it, it, guy. He's fine. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> or, or anyone else. Or like literally nothing else happened over the course of 35,000 years. <laughs> it's just this one bus ride. Well, really? it, cer- <laughs> it certainly speaks to the reproducibility of a certain simplified narrative. That is true. Yeah. And that, that is why, in a way, I sort of like that they didn't fully round him out and draw all the threads together. Like... They didn't. They didn't in any way try to justify him being a git by being like, "Oh, his father was a git, and his father was a git because his father was a git." Because at a certain point, you have to take personal responsibility for the shitty beliefs and opinions that you hold. Yeah, absolutely. I'd still like to get to know him better, though. (laughs) 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 But I'm with you. Similarly, only because (laughs) Martin Luther King just came up, we get to meet Martin Luther King in this. Is it just me, or could they have done so much more with that? Like, there's... I remembered so little about this episode in general, but I did not remember Martin Luther King appearing in it. And the fact that he just appears in it... It's a very nice scene with Ryan, but then there's a whole evening there that (laughs) clearly takes place, and that is of importance, and it's part of him, at least from Rosa's point of view, it's part of Ryan being brought on board to, you know, be part of a political dialogue and try to bring about some sort of change, or at least discuss the need for it. And we see none of it, like none whatsoever. Have they ever met him in an episode, like in a classic or... That's a crazy good question. I'm looking him up right now. Let's see here. Has appeared in a couple of novels, The Gallifrey Chronicles, The Also People, uh, an audiobook. It seems as though the only time that we have seen Martin Luther King on Doctor Who was in The Lie of the Land in actual documentary footage in on one of the myriad screens. Yeah. Looking and sounding nothing like this guy. <laughs> I mean, it is a real shame that he appears in this form, frankly. I just, like, I thought that his accent was perhaps the least convincing of all of them. And you could tell the guy was trying to put on an accent because he would breathe at the beginning and at the end of every single line that he read. And he'd be like, oh, I'm he sorry for your loss. And, I mean, there's that and a couple of others like, nice to meet you, Ryan. (sighs) And it was just so disappointing. Is that not basically all he does in this? Isn't that his entire, you know, his entire performance is those lines? (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm looking him up now because I want to know what this actor's done before. Uh, Hang on. I've already looked him up. Oh, here we go. He's done practically nothing else. He doesn't have a photo on IMDb. That never bodes well. No. Wow. Um, yeah, very little else. But uh, I mean, that's not, to say, that's not to say that he's a bad actor. I'm sure he's a great actor. But my beef with this is I, okay. A, I don't have a beef with it. But <laughs> so is there a beef? <laughs> <laughs> B, the reason I'm somewhat consternated here is it, it's it's not to do it has nothing to do with the actor or the performance. It has to do with the limitations of the character of that of that personage in this episode. I feel like if you're bringing MLK in, then freaking shine a massive light on him and you know like really have him be a character (laughs) at least say something else at least have like just a a few quick cutscenes between like instead of just seeing 15 seconds of yaz quote-unquote doing research in the (laughs) library which is so fucking dumb 
at least R- cut away from the that. future. Yeah, researching the future in the library in 1955. Like possibly the dumbest cutscene. One of two really dumb cutscenes, both of which involve Yas in the library. <laughs> uh, and and instead have like cut away from that to just the dinner table where Ryan is, as Rosa said, serving coffee or not dinner. You know, like he's serving coffee, and there are just snippets of dialogue, maybe a couple of lines that allude to you know social change to come or. Or something about Martin Luther King that kind of substantiates why Ryan is so in awe of him for anyone in the audience who doesn't necessarily know. Yeah, and at the same time, it connects with something else that I thought the episode fell down a little bit on, potentially, which was that Rosa Parks had been a secretary of the Montgomery, Alabama chapter of the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Coloured People, I think since 1943 and so it wasn't just that she happened to go to martin luther king's church and she was his mate like she had been part of an organization for 12 years and that's why they were meeting and that all connected with the emmett till episode that they mentioned earlier and so yeah ryan would absolutely have been able to learn like important historical stuff and Rosa, rosa instead of just being a sort of discomforted individual driven past her breaking point like there could have been a, a bit more of a hint about how this wasn't unpremeditated bravery like this was that she was building up to this and this was the moment that's what i was gonna say as well about when we were talking about you know the guy has changed everything so she won't be on that bus and therefore history will be different and yada 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 it's like but it was it was a planned thing. It wasn't like that she just snapped at one point and the fact that that bus driver was there, that wasn't relevant, I don't think. I think she would have just done it with a different bus driver or done it the next day or like it yeah. was, like you say it was a it was a plan. Like this is one I, I don't want to call it a tiny step, but it's relatively speaking over the course of 35,000 years, it's a, it's a, it's only one step, right? Like Yeah. yeah and wasn't he it, might isn't be it postponing also, this, but isn't it also true that she wasn't the first person to do it, but they decided the, the the woman that did it first wasn't a good candidate you know to be like put in the publications and stuff they you know there was some reason oh, really? why she wasn't ideal so kind of rosa parks repeated it again so this idea that like obviously she, you know she's a seminal figure and really important but it does feel like you know someone yeah. else would have done it it was yeah, a bigger that's interesting. i didn't said. know the context of that first one but i did also see that uh, i mean in, <laughs> i confessed i i literally only read it in the the imdb trivia for this episode i i'm woefully ignorant unfortunately but it said that someone had done it nine months prior yeah um yeah and in those intervening nine months the emmett till thing had happened oh i see yeah and i'll, I'll, I'll give a little bit of background on the emmett till thing mm. i'm not just going to call it a thing um emmett till was a black boy from mississippi he lived in chicago for a bit he went back to mississippi to visit his uncle moses and in a grocery store, um, some exchange took place and it was claimed or it was perceived that he had flirted with the white proprietress of the store. And basically a week later, this woman's husband and a friend of his 
went to Uncle Moses' house, kidnapped Emmett and lynched him and dumped his body in a river. And that's not even the worst part because um, they found the body three days later. These guys were blatantly, clearly guilty. And in fact, they admitted as much later. But there was an all-white jury who adjudicated their case and they found them not guilty in under an hour, despite damning oh overwhelming oh God. Oh, I didn't know that part. And it was just like, what a fucking stitch-up and awful society we live in. So, so yeah, that horrendous. is why Rosa Parks and, the, and everyone involved came back with such renewed determination to actually start making changes in this way. And, and I should cap this off by saying that just this last Tuesday, after like 60 years of campaigning, the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act was signed into law in America. Like, yeah. This isn't just ancient 50s history. Like This is just being resolved in certain ways this week. Yeah, no, it's, it's ridiculous how these things still exist in leg- legislature. Yeah. And I have one more fact, which was Ooh, that because we, we mentioned uh, Toast and Cole, Ryan is in the upcoming film Till. I've looked it up. He'll oh be, right! Yeah. Oh, he won't be playing Emmett Till. He'll be playing Medgar Evers, who was the Mississippi State Field Secretary for the NAACP, who tried to find Emmett once he'd gone missing and was looking for information on him. So that's what Tosin Cole's up to these days. Interesting. In a okay. weird circular trivia kind of way. Well done, Tosin Cole, for not falling into the Marvel trap, <laughs> as we theorized at the start of uh, possibly the season of reviews. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who wants to replace Chadwick Boseman anyway? <laughs> yeah, hang on, this is a total tangent. I haven't replied to this on Twitter. I need to reply to it after this recording. But uh, someone messaged me, uh, Lena, Lena, hi, Lena, uh, messaged me on or tagged me on Twitter saying that what's his face, Spider Man, is cast as the new Doctor. I'm assuming that's. Uh, some shit rumor. Tom which, Holland. Which That's the one. Tom. Ho- yeah, Tom Holland. I mean, Andrew I'm Garfield a- would equally make a good Doctor. Yeah, I can see Andrew Garfield actually. Doctor Who to be. This is from DoctorWhoTV.co.uk. Doctor Who to be completely rebooted with Tom Holland as the Doctor. This is such a tangent. I apologize, but the Marvel thing made me think of it. This is only because Sony have taken over Bad Wolf Production Company, and Sony also owns Spider Man. That's the Ooh. only link here. I guarantee it. Wait, is this actually happening? The Sony takeover is a done deal. But I'm Andrew yeah, but- Garfield and Tom Holland. I would. I will bet you. <laughs> 80 pence, 80 pence that neither of them will be Doctor Who ever, oh, I... ever. Uh, Lena, However, that... I will I will reply to you on Twitter after this recording, but in the meantime, fuck no, I don't want Spider-Man to be Doctor Who. Okay, I'm just saying that. Dude, Andrew Garfield <laughs> is an amazing actor. I'm with Marie. Yeah. I, would, Andrew I Garf- would welcome that. Andrew Garfield will be interesting because he's been on Doctor Who once before, and it would be another one of those, oh, why this face situations. Wait, who, who, who did he play? I can't remember. He was in the uh, uh, Tenant Daleks in Manhattan, Daleks Take oh, Manhattan, whatever it's called. Yes. What? Oh my god. That's him. He he turns into a pig guy. Yeah, he no! does. <gasps> yeah. Bring him back. So it's like, oh, why yes. this face? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Boom. First ever pig doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Sony, you done fucked up. You picked the wrong Spider-Man. <laughs> It's it's Toby Maguire, isn't it? He hasn't had any other gigs oh, in ages. If, if it's Toby Maguire, I mean, even <laughs> English, Toby Maguire. No, no, no absolutely not. <laughs> it's going to be five years of hello, everybody. I'm the doctor. So to come back off this tangent, there is one yeah. point about why it would have been good 
to give Rosa this this more deliberate context to her actions because she gives Ryan a look as she's being led away by the policeman. As it is, it seems a bit like, thanks for inspiring me to do this, Ryan. Mm. The the effect I had on you, you know, really uh, made me stand up for our people. Whereas if you know a bit more of the background, her look becomes, okay, Ryan, you you use me as an example and you take this back to England and you Mm. pick, you know, take up the struggle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, be inspired by this rather than thanks for inspiring me yeah it it removes quite a like a a chunk of her agency which is Mm. and of the entire movement which is such a bummer but at the same time you do have to simplify stuff for a a single standalone tv episode but it's (laughs) there's no doubt it's a shame also also i gotta say i gotta say there is so much that they do get right and manage to include the 1943 incident which seems like authorial foreshadowing with james blake that really happened 12 years earlier she had tried to get on the bus that whole interaction where he hauled her off and then drove away without letting her on that did happen and she resolved never to get on the buses that he drove again and then when she gets back on the bus and he's driving it later in the episode the doctor distracts her and she very clearly looks away from the bus driver so she doesn't see that it's him and that actually happened like at least according to the wikipedia page <laughs> which is wait, sorry, that she didn't realize which which bus driver it was that it was the, wasn't the same wait what that's, that's what it says like she really she didn't realize it was it was it was james blake but I mean, also twelve years have passed. James Blake has presumably been presumably been a bus driver for those twelve years, and presumably for at least a significant portion of it, <laughs> driven the same route. Yeah, and she did a lot. Twelve of years between any two encounters of theirs, like I, I feel like she would have gotten on his bus on some prior occasion as well. On the same Wikipedia page, it says this wasn't the only resistance I did, or the only the only time I didn't get to sit where I wanted. I did a lot of walking. Okay. Interesting. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Can can I ask some non-Rosa, non-social justice related questions about this episode? Crasco. Crasco has a suitcase with which is monogrammed GHB, I think it was. Who's that? Who's GHB? It's GFB and it sounds GFB, like Go Fuck Blacks. Wait, what? No, I just that's the obvious no. answer, isn't <laughs> you, it? I totally bought, <laughs> I totally bought into like, it. What? I absolutely thought that that was like <laughs> that you just went like uh, dude obviously it's like a famous racist thing um no but seriously like he has this suitcase which which has none of his initials whose suitcase is that it has little like a <laughs> little foam cutout of all the little sci-fi gadgets that he has inside of it where the fuck did he get that from what are these sci-fi gadgets what what is happening Oh, okay, here's a genuine question for you. He wears lots of outfits during this thing. He wears the Danny Zuko greaser outfit. He also wears a mechanic outfit. Like, he, he clearly sleeps somewhere during the night, so he has a little home base. Why does he keep a suitcase full of sci-fi shit behind a perception filter in a warehouse that on top of that is empty, so he probably, like, rents it or owns it or it's derelict? And he's put five or six padlocks on the... What the fuck? No. You have a perception filter. (laughs) 
Put the perception filter around a thing in your motel room. Or, like, put the entire warehouse behind us. What is happening? Put Someone the, answer all these questions. Put the perception filter around Rosa Parks. And she thinks she's... Yes! Uh, yes! No one can that. see her on the bus. And people are just sitting on her lap going, this seat's uncomfortable. This is the equivalent of, like, hey, Daleks, why don't you just kill everyone? This is like, hey, bad guy, there's a what much easier way for you to do this. <laughs> I also don't think I was ever clear why he didn't just send her back in time. Like, he has this object that he can take people out of history with. Or why didn't he just send her forward a day? Oh my goodness, that's... Oh my goodness, that's so... Such a good point! (laughs) Yes! That would solve it! And he's really, really evil. Back one day, she meets herself, she goes nuts. (laughs) (laughs) This just seems like a really really subtle plan for such an evil person. Yeah! If you're capable of killing (laughs) 10,000 people... If he goes to like the place that Jerry Maguire goes to to print out his manifesto and has little leaflets printed out that say this bus route has been discontinued. What? (laughs) How did you do that? (laughs) As opposed to giving Rosa Parks her very own Groundhog Day over and over again. I'm looking for GFB on Google and I cannot find why, who, GFB, anything about it. So this seems to me like another argument, potentially an argument, for there having been an intention to make this a return character because that clearly is a little hint, right? Like there Mm. must have been a thought of, hmm, this suitcase came from somewhere, we wouldn't fucking monograph this prop if there weren't a reason for it we do it we'll get back to it later and then they never do i found one theory and the theory is that there was james f blake he was the snake so maybe gfb is like a very very distant descendant perhaps what who has (sighs) but but this guy's still crasco so he would have to be a descendant of gfb so uh. yeah yeah um I, i don't buy it I would have bought it if, well, not the suitcase, but I would have bought the perception filter if he'd left that in a prominent place in the depot and he was trying to injure all the bus drivers. Like they kept tripping <laughs> over things they couldn't see, breaking bones. And there's no bus drivers left in Montgomery who can do the run that day. And that's how Rosa's stymied. <laughs> exactly. Try and do a sit in when there aren't any buses because everyone's in hospital. <laughs> That would actually make more sense. I've just thought as well, Drew, because you said that they made a point to say that Rosa didn't know who was driving the bus. It doesn't matter that they took him out and replaced him with the other guy. She didn't do it because she saw him. So the fact there's a different bus driver there has no bearing on anything. Well, I guess maybe Elias Griffin Jr. wasn't such a douchebag. But then what the doctor and Yas have to do is turn up at his door and be like, hey, look at my Mexican friend. I got darker ones than these around. You're a massive (laughs) racist, right? And if he isn't, then you pack him off to see Frank Sinatra. Oh, blue eyes, because he wouldn't Uh, go and see someone with brown eyes. Massive (laughs) racist. Do you know, and that was the other thing that I really loved. It was like, just how trusting this guy is. Like, two random people turn up on your door, and they're just like, yeah, you've got tickets. Just go in half an hour. We'll send a car to take you and your wife to go and see Frank Sinatra. (laughs) And they're just like, 
Sounds great. Yeah, I'm up for that. This raffle that I've won that I did definitely didn't enter. Sounds yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wait. Uh, oh, I get a ticket. Where is it? Where am I going? Am I getting on a plane? How am I getting to that plane? Where do I? How will they recognize me? Is there a bus? Will a limo pick me up? Like, there's nothing. When is the show? When? When is the show? Yeah. <laughs> We're perfect strangers. Clearly lying to you. In another half hour, another perfect stranger is going to take you and your wife to an unknown location. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm going to pack straight away. And if you could just like take this bag of ice chips and press it against your kidney, that would be great. <laughs> just as a prep. <laughs> Best way to see old blue eyes. <laughs> Their whole scheme is kind of, it's fun, right? Like it's, oh, it's so they do, yeah, they do that. Hey, you, you want to raffle, blah, blah, blah. And I called in a favor with old blue eyes. Oh, no, sorry. With Elvis, who lent the mobile phone. By the way, loved all of those references. Mm. But... <laughs> Uh, but then you jinx also have Graham. Free jinx on that <laughs> noise. <laughs> See, on my side, it, you're totally out of sync with each other, and that was not a jinx, but that's fine, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> the other side of that plan with Graham and Ryan going to sabotage Blake the Snake's fishing trip. Just, just I mean, sorry, what, what is the plan there? <laughs> you, you're you're going to, what, what, get him to not want to fish because you're there <laughs> like there's a whole river and what he's just going to take your word for it that there's some sort of protest going and he immediately just goes not on my watch <laughs> like, what <laughs> that, that also seems like an oversimplification of things i'm afraid that i found that too wonderfully entertaining to find <laughs> any problems with it. i loved that scene i also really enjoyed it i thought graham and ryan were actually in fact i think possibly all companions did a good job here like i, I feel i still feel like there are too many of them but they they were all great I feel like this one, they all had a role to play and they all had, to, you know, everyone brought something different and everyone was really like proactive. Like Ryan's like, I'm going to go off and find, you know, do this and talk to Rosa. And they've all, they've all asking questions. They're all involved and engaged. And yeah, yeah. I don't feel like <laughs> can she I, like, can I... could have pulled it off without all of them. That's yes, that's true. But can I just say about the, that particular scene where Ryan goes, uh, I'm going to go and stalk Rosa Parks and everyone else on Team TARDIS goes, yeah, just be careful, but just do it. That's a great idea. Uh, one episode ago, this dude picked up a laser rifle and ran off like playing uh, whatever the computer game is against Call of Sniper Duty. Bot. I've trained Call for of... this. Yeah, I've trained for this all my life. Goes and fires lasers at sniper bots. This guy is not a uh, spy. <laughs> uh, he's he's terrible. He's and literally I... a loose cannon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wouldn't trust him with anything. <laughs> I get that he then says uh, that he makes a whole thing of well, if I were a real spy, then you wouldn't have seen me follow you fine but i also wouldn't trust him to just get the job done <laughs> if i'm yaz or doc i don't know if graham was there if i'm graham whatever i would just go like ah, let's send let's send yaz instead like she's she's more dependable like we, we, <laughs> she seems kind of cleverer than you <laughs> oh yes yeah, but if we need person. to shoot any robots uh, ryan you're <laughs> our go-to dude <laughs> you know? the other job that i don't think should have been given to ryan was when he was trying to round up all the passengers to like wait the yes. bus is coming and there's like you know big black guys coming at them to and there's like <laughs> white people who are just you know obviously not going to listen to him yeah that the 
last time this happened, someone Will Smithed you, Ryan. Why are you doing this? Like, why aren't we sending Graham to do this job? (laughs) Exactly. Oh. I also really loved that Graham got to use his bus driver skills again. I wasn't convinced they could work that in seamlessly, but they've managed it twice now. So I loved it. Oh, now all they need to do the is only, have a bus. Sorry, he's the only one who knows how to read a bus timetable, isn't it? <laughs> he went to a bus drivers only pool table club. It's like uh, <laughs> you're a bus driver. Yeah, prove it. Oh shit, I only oh, have credentials oh, yeah, from yeah. twenty something. I, uh, I can prove uh, it. I drink beer. That's what, that's what I do. I drink beer. That's what all bus drivers do, isn't it? So so let's all drink. <laughs> Yeah, no, Graham's wonderful. (laughs) To come back to Ryan just for a second, it also stuck out massively when he's got Crasco's temporal displacement gun and he's saying, Doctor, how exactly do you you operate this? And and the doc isn't like, Ryan, I saw what he did last week. You're a liability. She's like, here's the button to send the bad guy back into the past and uh, here's the thing that says it's charged up, but don't use it. (laughs) Also, he's like pointing it at the doctor as he's fiddling. Maybe, maybe don't do that, Ryan. (laughs) Oh, bless him. Where does he send Crasco? Well, I thought he'd get in trouble for sending him back as well because, yeah, like I don't feel like it's resolved the problem. He can just find another time traveler. Maybe I don't know. Maybe not. If he can't send him dinosaurs, Hmm. you definitely can't send him back because this whole episode is about just the tiniest nudge and history's owned. They send him so back to do? prehistoric times, and the first thing he does is step on a butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> the <black laughs> yeah. butterfly. <laughs> Only white butterflies from now on. I do like Obviously. when Ryan sends Crosco back, though, and because he's like super like happy with himself when he literally he's like, "Nice one, Ryan," and then he like is talking to himself. <laughs> it's just the cutest. Like he's finally he's done something right. Himself. Yeah, I know. I mean, it is adorable and also evidence that the guy has schizophrenia. <laughs> he's just like, "Nice one, Ryan." Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> like, uh, buddy, <laughs> I don't think we should give you any more weapons. <laughs> But I agree. Yeah, it, it, it is adorable. There are there are a couple of scenes where he does that sort of thing. There's one scene when he's at Rosa Parks's house. He says something like, "Sorry, Doctor King. Uh, yes, Rosa Parks. Mm. Whoa." Yeah. And there's an element of him just sort of recognizing the cultural, the historical importance of of his surroundings. I, and it's really it's it's heartwarming to see it. I think there's a few times throughout the episode where they all have that. I think like the first time that Rosa comes on screen and introduces herself, and ev- and the music kind of swells, and everyone's like, oh, "Where's Rosa Parks?" And then like, um, I think Yaz has a couple of moments as well of like kind of almost pinching herself and being like, "I'm in history." Oh, she, she says like Rosa Parks was a seamstress and then kind of corrects herself it's like no it is a seamstress and that's really nice like quite often companions are so used to it they're so blase about like oh we're in history now and actually being in that recent history with characters that you know really well is yeah it must be like really hard to believe yeah yeah exactly and I also liked how they developed that later on extending it to say like a lot of history is hard to observe and to get your head around like when graham didn't want to be on the bus just as a bystander rather than going to help rosa i thought that was such a great example of what i talked about at the top of the show the inversion of the companion's usual role usually they rush in and they do what they can to change things but here they just had to watch Mm. including the doctor and 
I really enjoyed it as a one-off. Me that's too. A, that's a, uh, and I think this, sorry, is, this is one of the things I was referring to when I said, like, it doesn't feel very Doctor who in parts is because oh. for that reason, like, they're literally having to be bystanders and it's so anti, like, normally it's all action and, like, how we resolve the situation. But this time it's just about letting it unfold in its own way. Yeah, but I really loved it. It's a, it's a really nice narrative device. You're probably right. I, I don't, I can't think of any other time that something like that's happened in Doctor Who. And if it has happened, then it's happened because the social justice theme has been transposed into outer space and it's far less relatable. Mm-hmm. So it, it is, yeah, it's, it's really well done. So this was, I mean, this was co-written by Mallory Blackman. I'm, I'm kind of guessing it's mostly written by Mallory, Mallory Blackman. Chibbers. I'm only saying this because I don't have much faith in Chibbers' writing. <laughs> Chibbers added in the extra exposition and the dialogue about Graham being hungry. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So written by Mallory Blackman and Chibbers. And... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, definitely a, a different, I don't know if it's a different caliber of writer, but certainly a different kind of writer, a more conscious, more sort of down to earth in a sense, kind of writer than someone who just focuses on the sci-fi element of it and goes, oh, fuck it, it's Doctor Who, we can be zany and whatever. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to have heart to the same degree. Yeah, I feel like it did It did have a lot of heart. and um, It had tons of heart, yeah. Tons and tons. And I feel like it also felt like so much happened in this 45 minute episode and that like your emotions were completely up and down as well. Like there was... You know, you're in awe at meeting people and then there's really sad moments as well. And there's really like tense moments. Like it was incredibly tense at the end. There was this massive build up to the finale and you're sat there thinking like in their shoes, realizing that there's nothing else they can do. They just have to hope that it works. And Doc's like literally just like eyes like glued to the door, waiting for the last passengers to come on so that the plan will work. And there's nothing you can do to help that at this point. I felt like that was one of the most tense kind of scenes I've witnessed in who for a long time yeah i think i think she did yeah, a fantastic definitely. job and then obviously like the we haven't talked about like yaz and ryan's dumpster conversation either which was a really like poignant moment i agree yeah throughout this episode I, and i think this is going to be somewhat of a constant for me but throughout this episode i was thinking which one of the companions would i get rid of because i feel like there are too many of them and that was one of the scenes where i felt like oh wow these two the the fact that we have both of them on screen having this particular dialogue and having this particular moral and ethical sync up like the, the fact that they can observe everything from a common standpoint both from the future and as minorities and as you know everything and mm. as n- newbies to time travel you know everything <laughs> meant that yeah i want both of these on screen here like th- this is yeah. this is both of them playing a, a vital role in this episode yeah when you have one token representative that is not a scene you can ever have true yeah um yeah the other thing I was thinking about that scene is I know like when we come to later episodes we, we've kind of talked about this privately that it, it becomes quite preachy and every week there's like a new you know thing that we need to be concerned about and it always feels a bit shoehorned in and I don't think it did at all in this episode and I think it's because like it, it evolved so naturally you'd seen them like Ryan trying to be really kind in the beginning and like do a nice thing for someone and just and have this like violence and aggression thrown back at him and kind of realizing that you know things things have improved but not as much as they could do and all these conversations it really felt like a very natural evolution for both of those characters um yeah yeah agreed it's just slightly better constructed than usual (laughs) (laughs) 
Has Mallory Blackman written anything else for Doctor Who? Or is this a one-off? One-off. Oh, oh. dag nabbit. Maybe she'll come back. That's true. Yeah, maybe. Still got time. <laughs> <laughs> So, Marie, you talked about the music earlier. I was just about to say, oh my goodness, I bet you were thinking of the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was the other thing that I felt is very, very non-Doctor Who-y, is the final scene with the final song. What was it called? Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Rise, Rise Up. How did you you feel about that, both of you? I didn't like it. Mm. I I thought it was Cheeseville. We don't need this in order to underscore the the drama and the importance of this situation. Just some your run of the mill dramatic Doctor Who orchestral score will do. Thank you very much, and then let the actors and the script speak for themselves. My stance is that I was absolutely fine with where it was in the episode, but to repeat it over the credits, I mean, maybe that's a little. Mm. Yeah. See, I think when it first started, I fucking loved it. I was like, yeah, like, uh, like I say, it had been super duper tense, and then everything came together in the end, and she won, and and it was so powerful. And then like it was like no words are needed. They all, everyone had this like great eye contact, and they all knew that like they accomplished something, and the music crescendoed over to the top of it. And I was kind of really enjoying it. And then Jim came over and was like, "What the heck is this?" And I was like, "Oh, oh, yeah, no, you're Jim. right. It is really cheap." like and, and i fully and it is really cheesy and it definitely definitely didn't belong on the credits as well drew you're right about that but yeah i, I definitely felt myself being like my emotions sweeping me away to the point where i didn't although i thought it was See, ironic that it was rise up but i was just gonna say sitting. like that <laughs> The automatic th- thought is like, no, don't, don't, Rosa. No, just stay down. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they should have replaced that song with, sit down, come sit sitting. down, come sit down, <laughs> sit down next to White. <laughs> oh, I, I liked it as a sort of counterpart bookend to how the um, episode starts. When the music starts with, I woke up this morning with my mind. Stay down, freedom. I thought I thought it was a great sort of yeah update of that. But 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 uh-huh. sorry, there's there's a point that I have to make. A trivia point connected to that. That mm-hmm. is anachronistic to where it appears in the episode, the 1943 scene. Because back <gasps> then it was I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. It was an old gospel song. The freedom variant was only subbed in in 1961 by Reverend Robert Wesby, and it did go on to become a U.S. civil rights anthem but it wasn't Ooh. around in 1943 in that form oh interesting good trivia take that bbc <laughs> <laughs> but i still love it i love yeah. it too. every, yeah. every episode should start with a little bit of gospel just a few seconds absolutely yeah. can't hurt <laughs> um but yeah no I, I thought the music was brilliant like it did it crescendoed in the right places it was you know I, well it loved it and i also really liked the like there was a lot of like juxtaposition of like the big white signs on the bus and then there was like that on one half of the screen and Rosa, like a real close up on her face on the second half of the screen. And then that was also mirrored in the final sequence on the bus as well. And that was a re- like, I just thought that was really strong imagery. And yeah, I think there was like just really beautiful, beautiful, like cinematography and imagery and like the colours of the 50s. It was just, yeah, really, really good to look at. Well, I- I've made a note. Whenever they're not in the TARDIS, the episode looks fantastic. 
Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. they go into the TARDIS and it just looks like wank. I'm st- oh. But they only spend like three or four minutes there. The, the rest, beautiful. Yeah, agreed. Well done, South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know which parts were filmed in South Africa, whether it is just the, um, the big warehouse scene. Because I just feel like if you're in America and you're set there, why wouldn't you just film it all there? Yeah, or, I mean, the TARDIS set is in Wales, is it? The yeah. <laughs> <A> quarry? <laughs> a television set is just a warehouse. <laughs> I mean, just shoot it there. And while you're at it, accidentally destroy the set, build another one. <laughs> Whoops, we dismantled it a little roughly. <laughs> yeah. Back to the music. There were two extra things I liked. One is when they're out on the oil tanks and they're having their great confrontation. The composer really had some fun with the stereo panning. They're sort of ping-ponging, cling-clanging. Oh, I've I've missed this. Yeah, like in each (laughs) ear, it's going ka-dang-dong, Like left and right, left and right. It's it's great. It sounds like you're in there and someone's chucking stones in. Were you watching this with uh, headphones on? Yes, I was. Oh, (laughs) I bet you were. Were you wearing trousers? (laughs) 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 Only for a while. And the, the last thing about the music, because I liked that the Time Bastard had such a simple, ominous musical cue, all menacing strings, like, <laughs> every time he appeared on screen, Time Bastard, racist <laughs> Belland, no room for nuance, great, gimme it, gimme more. I was just going to say, um, when you were talking about whether there were too many companions or not, I think for the most part, like I said, they all had their own things to do and I think it worked really well. But there were a couple of scenes that I noticed in particular where Doc is like in front of the, like filling up the front part of the screen. Like when she was looking at the suitcase, I think, for example. And the three of them stand behind her in a little row and just like kind of shout questions at her. And it was so awkward. And I was just like, if there was one companion, they would come as well and be looking in the suitcase and like be involved in it. You wouldn't just stand behind her talking to her. But the fact that there were three of them, it's like they can't all fit there. So if you want them all, when it's like whenever there's all four of them in the same space it just i don't feel like they know how to interact with each other very well do you think there's an element of in the script they just kind of take turns to say stuff like they've just gone all right so the the order is going to be doc yaz graham ryan doc yaz graham ryan doc (laughs) yaz graham ryan and like that's just how it works and you sing frere jacques you sing dormez vous Just the same, around. I think. The same, I think, happens when it's even when it's just Doc and what's his face, Crasco, mm. where when they have a dialogue, I think this is the oil drum dialogue or oil tanker dialogue, where the camera is just like cutting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it seems very much. It just it, it felt very much like the the script just said, okay, so there are two characters, one is one, one is two, and we just need to go one two one two one two one two one two one two one two, and when there are four on there, it's just one two three four one two. <laughs> Three, four, one, two, three, four. and it never varies and there's there's never like just fucking cut someone else in there you've got three <laughs> bloody car- companions just like have someone interject something or in the other case maybe have someone approach the fucking suitcase and go uh who's gfb Wh- whatever like anything yeah. you know what's this thing ryan should say and pick up a gadget and start pressing <laughs> buttons willy-nilly oh, that's in his character <laughs> yeah. just do it 
Yeah. Yeah, th- there were two points where I thought that the direction fell down. Mark Tonderai was the director, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mark, if you're listening, take notes. There were... <laughs> Slash, come on the show. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Take notes, you were rubbish. Slash, you were great. Please come on the show. There were too many descending shots panning down to them all spread out in a row, like Maria's describing. Mm. Like there is one where they're in the motel parking lot and they're all just standing there. And the sign says whites only. How long is Ryan going to stand there until someone visits him with mischief? It doesn't make any sense. And then later on, when they spent five minutes, actually, I think in that same motel, um, figuring out what to do. And the doctor's saying, right, this is what we spent the last five minutes figuring out what to do. I'm going to spend another minute describing what we're going to do. And they all sort of line up. (laughs) One, two, there's Ryan on the end. There they all are. And it's like, really? These panning down shots made me really think of like characters in a video game. There was one in the co- parking lot. They're literally stood in like a perfect little diamond shape, and I'm pretty sure they're all in the same like position, like legs slightly spread, arms by your side. This is the starting yeah. position. It's so the classic awkward. one, two, three, four position. <laughs> yeah. I'm on board with all of this. Can I add another scene that didn't work direction wise, or po- I don't know what it is actually, but there's some there's another scene that doesn't really work for me, and that's when racist Danizuko shows up and goes. I'm going to chase you out of the warehouse and then boom, cut to the oil tanker place and they've just run there. But how did they get there? (laughs) He just showed up and started firing at them and then all of a sudden they're outside in an oil tanker, whatever, whatever that field is. And he's miles away. What is happening? It seemed like such a disjointed scene to me. Well, that is very much like the scene last week where the spaceship is crashing on top of them, literally meters from them, going to kill them any second. And then suddenly they're rolling down a hill somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Outside of that bloody gully. We never talked about that gully, by the way. I don't think that we did. It pisses me off even today (laughs) when we're not even discussing that episode. It pisses me off. Off. We're not even on that planet anymore. Let it go. I know. Oh. <laughs> My last point is I haven't seen a guy get slapped like that on telly in nearly a week. Marie, anything <laughs> to add or should we end on that? I think that's a no, good don't end on. on that, please. No. Oh, okay. One more thing. One more thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Danny Bizwas. Danny Bizwas yeah, was the guy who was punching well above his weight. Oh. Oh, excellent reference. Yeah. So is this a hint at this stage in the 13th Doctor era? What is this, season 11? Is this a hint that at least they're contemplating starting some sort of romance between these two characters? I, I definitely thought so the first time around, yeah. And I th- and it was really cute, actually. I d- I it was cute. I don't mind it, yeah. And then cut to Danny Bizwas, who is just, like, woefully unattractive and, oh, no. and really lonely, and everyone just, like, naturally empathizes with this person. And now we all feel like assholes, as does all of the BBC. Screw you, Ryan. Danny Bizwas is a nice guy. In fact, <laughs> cut to Danny Bizwas... He's working in a food bank. He's donating money. He's just like being really nice. He's helping a little old lady across the street. He's such a nice guy. Yeah, he's definitely not an incel who turned Yaz off men forever. John Bishop, a little bit rough. What is his name? But he works in the food bank. Dan. Oh Oh, Oh, my goodness, goodness, yes! Dan! Dan, not Dan Stevens, Dan something. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) No! Oh my goodness! (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you were doing it intentionally at first. <laughs> no, no, entirely unintentionally. <laughs> oh, I collapsed under the weight of my own jam and string. <laughs> <laughs> How about we rate this? Sounds like a cracking idea. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. There is so much to like about this episode. So many things in my notes I didn't get to talk about that it's very nearly an all-time great one. As I've said, it looks flawless from beginning to end. I think that every single actor, barring Martin Luther King, race to say, unfortunately, delivers. Down to the background extras, down to the people who were just either looking at the fam, and Ryan in particular, or away from the fam, at the, not atrocities, but, you know, the, the horrible social milieu, or are just surviving it. Everybody seemed to be imbued with significance, and I thought that everybody brought their A-game. Everybody seemed clearly up for this one, and not having to rely on alien worlds and CGI, but actually in making our history, living and breathing, a proper historical, it kept it so grounded that I was gripped. And yet, as we lurch towards the climax, there is far too much... Yaz, you got to get Rosa out of the department store at 5.40 at the latest to get the bus on time. And we've got to fix this. James Blake has got to drive Rosa's bus home tonight. And it has to be crowded enough that Rosa is expected to move. Oh, no, someone's not on the bus. That's bad. We need it to be full, which it isn't because some people aren't on it, in which case it would be full, which would be great. But it's not. And sir, as I said, that's bad. Just leave off, will ya? Generate the tension by having us wondering just a little what's going on rather than being formed exactly how minutes, many minutes there are to go. Countdown maestro, Mr. 42 himself, Chris Chibnall, and how many shorts the passenger count is at any given moment. And we didn't talk about this except in the B-Scale, but for the ending with the asteroid, I have to take 0.4 off. <laughs> Love it. But I'm still going to be as generous as possible as I can with this episode because, frankly, it's not going to be beaten for a considerable span. I'm going to give it 4.1. Interesting. Solid. Yeah, that's remarkably close to... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good good rating. (laughs) (laughs) Remarkably Um, close, you say. Do you want to... uh, Yeah. (laughs) Elaborate on that? (laughs) Yes. Uh, sure, yeah, okay. I believe I came second place in the uh, finger on uh, tip of nose game anyway, so it's it's all fair. Before I jump into uh, my mini, I would like to point out just <laughs> ad hoc, uh, we're not leaving in a million years is a really careless thing for a time traveler to say. Anyway, oh, so... yes! It's in my notes, it's in my notes! <laughs> nice. Um, her fucking bonkers mad gesticulation aside, which I stand by, is still a thing. Doc is surprisingly pretty dang great in this one. Uh, she totally sticks the landing with her references to Elvis and all blue eyes. She is, uh, she's fun. She's clever. She solves lots of problems and she acts as a sort of moral and ethical anchor for the group, which is, which is great. Like I said, I still think there are too many companions here, or at least there might be one too many. And in this case, I do wonder, and I really, I, I love them. I, I love him, but I do wonder if maybe it would make sense to just get rid of Graham for this one, have him sit this one out because you probably want to highlight the social interest 
justice aspect and he's exactly as impervious to it here as the doctor is and so the if you have him just have a snooze in the TARDIS or he gets locked in or whatever, then the remaining TARDIS team gets a little bit more to do. While watching this, I thought the two foes of this episode, Crasco and the actual real-world modern historical bigotry, were pretty standout. Uh, but then... <laughs> We delayed the, this recording by half an hour, and I sat down to prep this bullet point, and I started thinking, hmm, what do we actually know about Crasco? And I wrote down the following. Nothing! He caused the deaths of 2,000 people. How? When? Why? Who were they? How long was he in for? How old is he? Where is he from? Is he human? If so, what does he care about the early steps of the civil rights movement in America? Clearly aeons before he was even born. How would he even know anything about it? Where did he get the tech? What's his deal? Where did Ryan send him? What the hell? Anyway, that's what I wrote down. Um, the depiction of racism, though, as far as I can tell is done well and is tragically accurate and uh, I, I remember I, I you know it, I should say I might be misremembering this signaling the potential start of a sort of broader theme of bringing attention to social justice topics that don't usually get much attention in Doctor Who except when there's a you know like a mining revolt on the planet Praglox Zeta Minor oh, oh okay. uh, can I just say I yeah. remember suddenly as you say that being impressed that this was where they went with a Doctor Who episode in this series i like exactly you, right was full of optimism like oh great this unlocks a whole new range yeah it, exactly yes that that's that's pretty much spot on my recollection of, of how i felt at the time as well but aside from this and maybe demons of the punjab which i also don't remember super duper well i don't recall it being much of a theme in fact what i recall is that there was an inordinate amount of focus on environmental change like environmental disasters which or maybe that's the next season but like a lot of hey oh there's plastic everywhere like, fuck off you're, okay you're thinking I, of I Prexius. that's the yes that, that yeah. is what i'm thinking of i feel like there are at least two episodes that are about uh, environmental disasters anyway yeah in terms of production value terrific at times pretty understated at others but always very much effective as we said it was actually filmed in montgomery alabama and in south africa I, I, well in montgomery alabama let's emphasize that i think that makes a huge difference it's it's filmed on location greatest assets doc rosa graham despite what i said before <laughs> because uh, he's fun. Uh, biggest flaw, the oversimplification of certain plot points, like the problem solving by the TARDIS team, the unanswered questions, the, uh, yeah, well, lots of stuff. Oh, you know what? Another possible flaw, the music, potentially. Anyway, main takeaway is, cool, I'm on board for this TARDIS team. The writing is pretty solid. Can't wait for the next adventure. I've given this a 4.2. <laughs> oh! Mm -hmm. Very nice. Marie! Yes. This better be a 4.3. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I um yeah, obviously like agree with mostly what you, both of you have said. Um I think Leon all of your points about Crisco, what's his name? Crasco. Crasco, yeah. Only I feel like they're fair because he doesn't come back. I feel like if you take this episode in isolation, it really really feels like he's being set up with a lot of unanswered questions, but we're going to eventually find him on some distant planet somewhere in the far-flung future or distant past or whatever and we'll get more information. So I don't think watching this episode on its own not any of those unanswered questions really bothered me. Because because I just felt there wasn't, you know, more more layers of the onion to peel back. 
and so if you, you know we now know that he doesn't come back so that's when they become frustrating but i don't think it's a problem with this episode it's a problem more with the like overarching series so i'm not going to take up any points for that but yeah th- and i again like normally i'm very much of the opinion that three companions is too many companions but here i think they all did marvelously they all did mm. a lot of range graham is a really nice like comedy touch but he also has a really really sweet like sad moment when he's talking about grace and like they were all kind of saying like what would grace do oh, if yeah, she sorry. was here and it was really lovely to see that callback because you know so often as soon as someone's off camera they're kind of forgotten about and they're not really talked about again but it really felt like his emotions were still super raw which of course you know they would be so i feel like you know he's growing in my favor as well and mm. you know evolving as a character so yeah i can't fault any of those either i just yeah it was just a beautifully beautifully made series um episode and like the story is really poignant i think you do have a point though drew about the like how rosa parks was framed in particular and whether we're kind of putting too much emphasis on like hey the the TARDIS team made this happen rather than actually Rosa and her team made it happen but I guess maybe that's what they were trying to establish by not acting in the end it's like then you know they are giving her the agency to do it on her own so yeah and I think they're like the Martin Luther King thing I liked that he was in it definitely because I think it, it really grounds it in that time period and shows how important it was but yeah I think again that could have been maybe handled slightly differently so but I just yeah I feel like they're mainly my points and I mainly just really enjoyed this episode and I feel like it is lovely when they touch on these kind of more serious topics that are still really important and relevant so I'm gonna I'm gonna sod it I think it's even I think it's better than a 4.3 I think I'm gonna give it a (laughs) 4.4 wow oh my goodness (laughs) even though there were two raffles perception filter raffles like even though they turned the Even though they turned the civil rights movement or like rescuing the civil rights movement into a really like sort of low budget Ocean's Eleven. It's Ocean's 1955 where it's all about like catching a bus. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Part of me wonders whether they wrote in uh, Graham as a bus driver and then they were like, right, what historical moments are buses important? What can he do? (laughs) (laughs) There's this and wait, was speed based on a true story? Actually, I need to, I need to say about the raffle thing. It, it's I find it really weak, but it has a great payoff when Rosa says, "And if I win this raffle, will it give me the right to sit where I please?" Mm. And the doctor has to be like, "No." Yeah, yeah, that, and I, yeah. and that I thought hard. that no was delivered so beautifully. Like it was only one line, but you could see how like pained she was. Like actually, I can't give you an easy answer. Your life from here on in is going to be difficult. You, you know, and that was really important that they talked about that. It's not like, hey, Rosa does this thing, and then you know everything suddenly changes. She ends yeah. up having a really difficult life, and it was only like later in life that she was really recognised. So yeah, see, the raffle was important. This now let's hear from podcast land. Max two fifty, or it would get out of hand. Okay, today we have four listener minis, more maybe added later. Boop, 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 boop. And if you're a listener mini submitter and you're just going to skip ahead to listen to us read out your own, you massive narcissist, don't, because today <laughs> we have some interesting territory to cover in the listener mini section. Indeed. And the first foray into this brave new world is with Rachel C. <gasps> that sounds to me like a new review. 
Rachel C. Welcome aboard. Glad to have you as part of the mini review crew. Oh, yay. <laughs> and may I apologize to Rachel for the last hour and a half because Rachel begins, I can't wait to hear y'all's review of this episode because I did not like it at all. <laughs> <Oopsies. laughs> A cumulative rating of 12.7 not going down too smoothly. (laughs) For one, doesn't it ignore rules the show has put in place about travelling back in time? If the Doctor had only said that Rosa Parks refusing to stand was a fixed point in history, I would have been fine with it. But she doesn't. She, the Doctor, is just concerned about making sure the civil rights movement happens. Fair, but I feel pretty sure that it would have kicked off at some point, even if Rosa Parks had not been on the bus that day. Yeah, that's a super good point. We didn't talk about fixed points in history. How does that work again? Can someone remind me what are the rules of that? Doc decides when a fixed point is fixed and then keeps it that way. All right. Uh, you heard it here first, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, do, I think this is a bit different, actually, because I think normally when you go back in time, you don't want to meddle and change anything. But when somebody else is meddling and is changing things, then like she's only meddling to unmeddle what was previously meddled. So it's just correcting things. Could I feel like that it's interfere? Of, oh, sorry, go for it. Sorry. I feel like it is kind of implied that it is a fixed point in time, even though she doesn't ex- like explicitly say it. Well, is no, it a fixed if, point if in a, time now because of their interference? Yeah, and if it's a fixed point in time, there's absolutely no jeopardy. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's kind of Rachel's point, isn't yeah, it? Like, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. But I wonder if the fact that they've now stepped in, righted this wrong, they've been a part of this historical incident, th- this this event, makes it a fixed point in history, and now it can no longer be changed. I, I, I can't remember what the rules for this is. This has definitely so. happened in Doctor Who before, where they've been like, oh, this is fixed, but oh, I didn't realise we were a part of this point's fixation. Oh, right. <laughs> I think that happens every time. I think. Yeah. Like, oh, really? They're yeah, always right, trying to... Yeah. trying to not change something and then end up changing something and then it works out in the end anyway and it's like ah we should always be here yeah it's just that the camera wasn't on us the history books didn't know that we played an unseen role another point i would make in, in connection to this is that this is sort of i mean i'm i don't i'm not massively expert on the civil rights movement but as a fixed point to be playing with and upholding this is a much better one to dramatize than we've got to make sure that mlk gets shot and malcolm x gets shot and Mm. (laughs) all these people in the 60s let's pick robert f kennedy he also gets shot we have to make sure everyone in the 60s gets shot so that barack obama can be president i don't want to watch that show Yeah, I mean, if those are the choices, yeah, I'll go with this episode, thanks. Yeah, and and (laughs) I should say, Rachel, obviously I'm not saying that's what you're suggesting, and my point about not being expert is there probably were other choices, and I just can't think of any, and maybe they could have done it more artfully with another one, but I don't know any better myself. Hmm. Well, Rachel goes on. Secondly, playing Rise Up when Rose is getting arrested, all caps, by the way, that was some very heavy-handed girl bossery. I know this episode was written by a black writer, but it comes across as something written by a, quote, well-intentioned white person who wants to show how much of an ally they are. Maybe it's because I'm American, but the race commentary felt really dumbed down here. It would be far more interesting to see the show start weaving in nuanced commentary on racism rather than doing a one-off, we love Rosa Parks, who is one of the most well-known and beloved civil rights figures, so the show isn't even tackling racism in a 
difficult or complex way. I mean, there are two points there, right? I mean, the, the Rise Up thing, I don't think has anything to do with uh, the writing, as in this being written by a black writer. I think that's down to direction and production. And I agree, it's massively ham-fisted in there. I mean, we talked about it. It puts the ham in Sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also, unfortunately, know precious little about the civil rights movement. Too little to be able to say what else could we have done. So, but, but yeah, I also take it. You know what? The thing is, a lot of people, certainly a lot of people outside of the US, will not know that much about lots, like everyone who was involved in this movement. And consequently, Doctor Who has to pick super duper, easily recognizable figures throughout history in order to, you know, write a story around them. Because otherwise people will go, well, hang on, who's that? Or we can't relate to this. Or they need to devote an entire segment of the episode to introduction and exposition. This just makes it a little bit easier, I think. And I also think they kind of touched upon that with like Ryan. It's like, oh yeah, I learned about Rose Parks in school, but actually couldn't Mm. remember the details of it. So it's an instantly recognisable name that everybody associates with the civil rights movement. But maybe a lot of people aren't aware of the specifics of how it happened. So a little bit of an educational thing, especially like you say, outside of the US like maybe it's not as well taught but maybe it's also a good point like maybe when the BBC decides to do a double feature and there's a little bit more television real estate to you know devote to a storyline and to characterization maybe at that point they should make an actual effort to introduce uh, historical figures whom we aren't necessarily taught about in school or whom we aren't necessarily immediately going to think of and recognize yeah or they could have the second part of the episode set in Bristol with the Bristol bus boycott of the 60s and have Graham as the bus driver who's been driving since practically the 60s actually uh, make a reference to that and what Grace thought about that. I bet you that's the next bullet point down the list of, all right, so what can we write Graham into? That, that's the BBC <laughs> <Yeah>. list. <laughs> that's the final episode. He's driving a bus on desolation. <laughs> Not social justice related, but he could also be sitting in one of the buses that Evil Knievel jumps over. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Only piece of vintage uh, television material I could think of with a bus. Anyway, yeah, uh, Rachel, I believe, continues. Oh, she does indeed. Um, she follows up with, Finally, Crasco. Does he have a purpose slash motivating factor? Nope, just a convenient racist from the future. I want to like Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, but this episode did not help. Oh, no. Ooh. And uh, Rachel gives this a rating of 0.5 out of 5 racist Danny Zuko wannabe villains. Uh, disagree with your rating, but wholeheartedly agree with your rating system. That is fantastic. <laughs> so, so you came up with racist Danny Zuko, and it was also in Rachel's notes? Uh, yes, that is right. Uh, she says Danny Zuko wow. wannabe, yeah. Because he is a Danny Zuko. Have you not seen Grease, Drew? Have you- yeah, exactly. Well, I have, and I get that more than one person can see a film. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just amazing that... <laughs> I'm just amazed that the exact same reference, the exact same yeah. wording. Like, yeah. that, that's pretty incredible. Uh, Rachel, I believe you are both my friend who agrees and disagrees with me <laughs> in this one. Great to have you aboard. Yes, thank you so much for joining us as we travel down this temporal road. People who are not Rachel C can follow Rachel C on Twitter if Rachel C joins Twitter. right and if she joins instagram presumably a similar principle applies that's right (laughs) (laughs) who's next (gasps) took 
the words right out of my mouth. Why, it's Tracy, Tracy from, from America. America. Hello, Tracy. What up, Tracy? <laughs> Tracy begins. Now this was a great episode. <laughs> so we've got two Americans so far. Yep. Opposite ends of the spectrum. That's right. What a change from last time. Can we get Mallory Blackman to co-write all Doctor Who episodes? <laughs> <laughs> couple of fun things graham echoing some of his companion predecessors gripes about how doc can't control the tardis today's name drop elvis and suggesting doc might be banksy which we didn't discuss this but i loved it yeah same that's good Me too. that was great the writing is very solid yaz's dilemma about where to sit feels very real and what a clever line to give a racist villain it might color your view of me not a word is wasted all the choices, the dialogue, the music, the lighting, the direction, all perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I agree. All of it? All yeah. of it? All perfect? Uh, yeah, it I, was I, I would agree with some. <laughs> <laughs> much. Much of it is good. Yeah, much <laughs> the choices. Much dialogue. Much music. <laughs> And Tracy continues, seeing Rosa quietly refusing to give, it, give up her seat looks such a small thing from the outside. She says no, and they escort her away quietly. But Rosa herself references the dangers of the time period when she mentions Emmett Till to Ryan. Earlier that year, Emmett, a 14-year-old boy, was brutally murdered after accusations he whistled at a white woman. It was such a scary time and place to be black. And Rosa isn't just existing. She's engaging in civil disobedience. As a white activist, I find civil disobedience scary. Watching Rosa do what she did cuts at me. I'm so genuinely frightened for her. And while we know that this act sets bigger things in motion, she has no way of knowing this. For all she knows, this arrest could get her beaten or killed, and no one will ever pay any attention. I am simply in awe, not just of Rosa, but of anyone who takes an action of dangerous defiance, hoping it will make the world a better place. Tracy, how beautifully put. Yeah, oh my goodness. And it really brings into focus all the other people, all the background people I I saw in this episode, because they put them there to be seen doing nothing, sometimes upholding it, sometimes uncomfortable with it, but all just equally locked in. Yeah, absolutely. Did Tracy mention what a great episode this is? She has sort of, and she concludes with, My one episode caveat, however. Where did Ryan send the villain? As far back as it would go, so lava? Empty space? Did Ryan just kill him? And uh, Tracy gives this a rating of, oh, my heart. I think Tracy quite likes this one. Yeah, I, I think, think that's that a solid was a rating. fantastic rating, Tracy. Thank you oh so my goodness. much for writing in. Yeah, thank you very much. People who are not Tracy, uh, shame on you. And also, <laughs> go and high-five Tracy <laughs> online. Tracy can be found at... That's Fountain Tracy backwards. Almost. Who knows if that's in sync. Thank you so much, Tracy. Who's next? Why next? It's Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hi, Andy. And Andy says, hi, gang. (laughs) Doctor Who has dealt with racism numerous times before, usually through allegory, like the Daleks, or lightly dealt with like thin ice. Rosa, however, doesn't pull any punches. (laughs) Like Capaldi. I see what you did there, Andy. The racism is out there front and centre in all its gruesome ugliness. Rosa is the first Doctor Who story to be written by a person of colour. Is that true? That's crazy. Oh, that's mm, nuts. That's shocking if yeah. that's true, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. 
And the titular character is played marvellously by Vinette Robinson. Mandip Gill and Tosin Cole also do brilliantly to breathe life into Yaz and Ryan. Great way of putting it, Andy. Ryan is actually alive in this episode. Yeah, he's a person. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And their poignant discussion of the racism they've faced in their own lives serves to show that although progress has been made, there is still so much progress still to come. Bradley Walsh also deserves praise playing Graham, allowing his anger to bubble under the surface. The Doctor displays her sympathy and indignation, but never puts herself in the way of the story, and I'm so glad she wasn't shown to be the reason for Rosa Parks taking the action as she did. In fact, possibly the only part of the story where it doesn't quite work is that of Crasco. I get he's a plot device in order to bring the Doctor here, but I just don't really care about him. People really want more of Crasco. Yeah, oh, can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, have I brought up my writing course in a week? Let me do that now. It's been about a week. Yeah. (laughs) It's been about one episode. Wait, you're on a writing course? I've actually finished it. Oh, first time I've heard of it. talk about how every character every major primary character in a narrative needs their own developed backstory and arc even if you see precious little of it on screen you need to have written it for the character to actually be real and pop so are they just showing the very very tip like the tiniest little tip just the tip just the tip of the tip And is all of that underneath the surface? Or are you saying that there is so little of Crasco in this episode that it's clear that they didn't, that they just didn't bother? Uh, I don't want to put words in Andy's mouth but I, or in the BBC's. Okay, you know what? Here's my assumption. I assume that they intended for Crasco to be a return character. And in that case, if, if he were to return over the course of a number of episodes, this episode in itself is just, it's effectively, it's not even an act. It's a scene within Act 1 of Crasco's development, and consequently it's fine not to learn that much about him. This sounds a lot like what you said about Ilin last week. Like, Ilin should come back, and we should learn more about him, and he should be fleshed out. Art Malik's character. Wait, did I say Ilin needed to come back? Maybe not needed to come back, but could benefit from coming back. I feel like we should have... He would have benefited from being fleshed out as a character, certainly. Uh, he needed a backstory. That was a, a, a character who had been popped in there without the writer having considered the full arc that led him there. Absolutely. Ah, right. Okay. But I, I don't know if I care enough about Ilan, you know, to see him return. Actually, you know what? Fuck Ilan. I don't care about Ilan one, <laughs> one bit, one iota. <laughs> but if Art Malik wants to come back and play someone else, the door's always open. Absolutely. 14th Doctor, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> they haven't cast Spider-Man yet. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> <Andy>. <laughs> natural segue, natural segue. Thank you. I'm um, so smooth. Rounds- somewhere else now. How did that happen? <laughs> Andy rounds off his review uh, by saying, overall, Rosa takes Doctor Who back to its origins of being educational and informative, but without seeming to preach. There's some lovely dialogue too, and I especially love the thought that the Doctor might be Banksy. Mm-hmm. Also, choosing to use Rise Up instead of the Rise usual up. closing theme is a masterstroke. <gasps> and Andy awards this. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yes, super interesting. Andy awards this 4.7 out of 5. 4.7 being a higher IQ level than any racist fuckhead out there. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Andy. Awesome stuff, Andy. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, excellent mini. Wait, really? The Rise Up, the song was a... Mo- no, I um, agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> 
I also what like do you Andy. think of podcast land? <laughs> Let Andy know. Where can Andy be found? Online. At? Jaffrey's. 71. That's 71 the what? Number. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Who's next? Why, next up we have a new reviewer. New, new reviewer. <laughs> Our new reviewer is named P.O.W. Or, or pow? It's like the comic book thing, like pow. Yes, that's exactly what it must be. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Zap, wham. Exactly, <laughs> those are the words. <laughs> Bosh. Bort. <laughs> Bing bong, future Leon here. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to say that uh, behind the scenes, we kind of agonized over this mini. Uh, sorry, pal. Uh, because as you'll hear in a moment, there are a few things in it that we simply disagree with. Everyone obviously has the right to their own opinion, though, and this isn't meant to criticize or censor anyone. I haven't cut out this mini review and it's still going up on the site in its entirety. And I really want to stress that I'm, I'm not saying people have to agree with us or they're wrong. Uh, what I am trying to say, though, is that people who base their opinions on something other than facts are rarely entirely right, and often they don't realize that themselves. And for that reason, I've popped a redirect at whobackwhen.com slash facts. That's whobackwhen.com slash facts. That will take you to an article on BBC News published April 2021 entitled George Floyd, How Are African Americans Treated Under the Law? It includes a number of graphs that detail statistics relevant to this future me interruption. Hopefully it'll help to elucidate anyone who's interested. It also signposts all of its sources, so you can go ahead and learn more about this if you're so inclined. Okay, enough preamble. I've (laughs) I've probably scared a few of you now. All right, here we go. Bing bong. So Powell begins, hello from Alabama. Ooh. Topical. Relevant. (laughs) I've just started watching series 11 after putting it off for years. Well, well done for finally striding ahead down the temporal road. With us, no less. That's right. This is the first good episode, in my opinion, for the 11th series. Hmm. I dislike the pushing of inaccurate racial stereotypes, that black people get pulled over more often for their skin colour than white people, that Ryan says to Yaz behind the dumpster. I think that's a contestable Mm -hmm. statement. Yes, agreed. I don't have... (laughs) Any um, data on it necessarily? Pow, agree to disagree. Uh, maybe do a little bit of research. Uh, have a look online. As far as I'm aware, that is a fairly accurate statistic, in fact. There's no Tragically doubt that it accurate. happens in certain places. Yeah, yeah. Anywho. Yas brings up Emmett Till, which actually came up recently when Joe Biden signed a bill called the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Bill, which mm. makes it illegal to lynch people. As if that's happening today, and basically just makes murder double illegal, I guess. I mean, while there's an element of legislative duplication, there are black people getting killed by white people because they're black. And yeah. If they're not being strung up on a tree, it's still a bit lynchy, isn't it? Yes, certainly. It's not happening where you are in, about, in Alabama. Great. Things have moved on. However, the story of Emmett Till was a tragic one and very much worth noting to really give the gravity of the situation to Ryan. Mm. And, mm-hmm. uh, and a good point of, like, let's educate the audience about something that they may not be aware of. Pow, if that's how one pronounces your name, continues. A white time-traveling racist seems a bit on the nose for race-baiting agenda. Ah, okay. I'm sensing a bit of a theme here, pow. However, a dude who went to prison and came out racist isn't that unbelievable. I felt like they made the fact that Ryan couldn't sit with him a little more dramatic than it should have been, considering he literally gets to leave and go back to his time later. Like, this isn't the end of the world. When Ryan meets MLK, I wish when Ryan... 
Brian repeats Martin Luther King to MLK, MLK would have just responded, Junior, just to add that little extra detail of history. Actually, that's quite nice in terms of writing. Mm. Um, I thought it mm. was ironic that the doctor had to cause a racist event in history in order to create the desegregation movement. <laughs> that's very true. Oh, mm. Absolutely, yeah. It's an excellent, it's like an ingenious bit of writing, in fact. It's a definite attempt at a Moffat moment, weaving them into the events of history on accident. Yeah, I agree. I felt that the realization that they caused the event was a heart-sinking moment. Power rounds off by saying, the portrayal of Rosa was very heartfelt and genuine. I like how they acknowledged that Rosa still had a difficult life after showing that it wasn't a quick fix to everything. I did find it kind of dumb at the end when the Doctor shows everyone the asteroid named Rosa Parks. I get that it's supposed to symbolise she's never forgotten, but it's like, and anyways, check out this cool rock I named. And then, end of episode. I think actually Mm. seeing real footage of Rosa at the end should have been the end to the episode. Overall, I went in expecting to hate this episode because I'm not a fan of what's to come with the flux, but it stood out alone and was actually very good. And Power gives it a 3.3 out of 5. Yeah, and and to be fair, for balance, I agreed with every single word of that last paragraph. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> yes, that, me too. <laughs> that's a solid closer, pal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I feel like there's quite a lot to unpack here. M- maybe a, a couple of disagreements with uh, <laughs> it's understatement of the year, uh, but the year is still young. We're just in April. A couple of disagreements with the first two paragraphs, but yeah, as I said, maybe let's have a conversation online. Let's do that. Pow, thank you so much for sending this in because it's been really interesting. And I mean, <laughs> I don't know how long this is going to be in the final edit, but we may have spent a little bit longer on, on your mini than is evident in the actual podcast that has dropped because it's thought provoking in many different ways. So yeah, and people with different mm, opinions need to talk to each other. Absolutely. absolutely yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Pow, I hope we haven't offended you in any way. And broader podcast land, I hope you're not offended either. I hope perhaps if anything, you consider this... Uh, an opener for a dialogue. Powell's Mini in its full splendor is going to be available on whoback1.com so please go there and um, like just let Powell know how you feel about things or high five Powell about uh, Powell's rating. In the meantime Powell, thank you so much for joining us on this temporal road. Thanks yeah. Powell! <laughs> right again soon. Nice one. Bing bong, me again. We did in fact receive not one, not two, not three, not four. JK, we did in fact receive four more listener minis and I'm going to blast through them very shortly. Before I do though, I just want to reiterate, if anyone's interested, head on over to whoback1.com slash facts or go straight to BBC News and look for that article if you prefer. It's an interesting and differently thought-provoking piece. Right, on with the show though. Uh, Four more minis. (laughs) Holy smokes. Here we go. Who's first? Why, it's Kieran Evans. Hello, Kieran. Kieran says, So, having had an adventure in space last time, we now follow the usual pattern and have one in the past, and I have thoughts. So, no cold open. Still not used to that with respect to modern Who, but oh well. So at 4 minutes 15 seconds, we get the line that sums up my issue with this episode. Quick look, but quietly. History is very delicate. So why do we need space racist Greaser? I think I'd prefer a version of the plot where he wasn't there. Yes, the classic who pure historical, last seen in the Highlanders properly. Yes, I know about Black Orchid, but that one doesn't really count in my opinion. No historical characters and the historical setting is almost irrelevant. How 
dare you, sir? <laughs> Black Orchid was amazing. The crew land and accidentally fuck up the timeline and then spend the rest of the episode trying to put things right whilst trying to fight 50 southern states' racism. That should be more than enough, says Kieran. Even the plot acknowledges that the tiny actions make a difference as that's what space spacist greaser <laughs> does in the episode. Also, Ryan zapping him feels like setting up a sequel, which we haven't had yet, agreed. And we don't have Ryan anymore. Now... I do like the detective elements, the brainstorming and the splitting up of the gang's plan to allow everyone to have something. Let's be honest, that doesn't always happen well. The cinematography is nice. So yeah, says Kieran, my issue is firmly with applause and my rating is based on the fact that I will be less likely to watch this one than The Woman Who Fell to Earth. And he gives this (laughs) 3.5 out of 5. Excellent, Minnie. Thank you very much, Kieran. People who are not Kieran... Say hi to Kieran, he can be found at KJ Evans 2. <laughs> Sorry, I'm speeding through these. Thank you very much, Kieran. Next up, we've got Michael Ridgeway. Oh, that's not the right song. Michael Ridgeway. Ridgeway. <laughs> Sorry, that was the only soundbite I could find. Hello, Michael. Michael says, occasionally rising from the slag heap of rings of cartons, planets of fires, and let's kill Hitlers, this show gut punches us with a trailblazer. A thought-provoking period piece about future fascists weaponizing time travel amidst a shameful backdrop of all-too-human racial subjugation. But enough of the seventh Doctor's remembrance of the Daleks, let's talk about Rosa. Which is pretty good, albeit a poor second to McCoy's masterpiece. This is powerful stuff. Hearing Ryan and Yaz's experiences of racism in contemporary Britain was shocking. The production is superb. Kudos for our heroes sitting on a bus being far more exhilarating than in Planet of the Dead, where their bus is under attack by killer alien stingrays. Even Ryan becomes a real character. The Ryan Martin Luther King Rosa scene is surely this companion's high point before drifting into Ben and Polly levels of mediocrity. My only beefs. Firstly, Crasco's NAF plan. Big deal if Rosa hadn't needed to stand. Surely something else would have ignited the civil rights powder keg. Yes, good point. An oversight explained perhaps by Crasco being a pea-brained Tommy Robinson, in brackets. <laughs> Real name, Stephen Penishead, Christopher Cuntface, Yaxley Lennon, <laughs> close brackets. Thug. Excellent. How would scary high-intellect racists go about this if they had the tech? Second beef was not seeing Crasco get munched on by a T-Rex. <laughs> perhaps that would have undermined the poignancy. And Michael gives this a rating of, holy moly, hold on to your pacemakers, peeps, because he gives this 4.9 out of 5. Amazing rating, holy smokes, what a big heart. Uh, People who are not Michael Ridgway, say hello to Michael Ridgway at bad underscore movie underscore club. Thank you very much, Michael. And might I add, so big. Who's next? Why, it's Daniel McGinley. Daniel, Daniel McGinley. It's Daniel, Daniel McGinley, yay. Right, something like that. Hello, Daniel. Daniel says, This beautiful-looking episode sees the fam visit 1950s Alabama on a mission to keep history on its path. Remind me, what constitutes a fixed point in time, or can history be changed or not? (laughs) It's nice to see a lot of people in podcast land are on the same page here. Uh, Daniel continues, Jodie is warming up being much more relaxed in this role. She is funny in this one. Highlights being the, or am I, Banksy line. I did not warm to him. Yes, I love that one as well. And the look she gives Graham for putting his arm around her. 
The enemy is underwhelming again. Unbelievably, Tim Shaw is still the, quote, high point of the series so far. Being generous, Crasco is a product of an uninspired creative mind, but the elephant in the room is that it's clearly saying white men equals bad. It's a shame as the concept of a villain who can't directly do bad acts is really interesting and has potential for some really clever timey-wimey plotting. Yeah, you know what? I agree with that, but maybe we can weave in the kind of uh, demolition man rehabilitation chip or whatever it was in a future episode because I agree that's a that's a cool idea Within the space of one minute, Ryan goes from not knowing exactly who Rosa is to commenting on how brave she is for living in Montgomery all her life. Consistency, please. Hadn't thought about that. Moralizing lecture count. Well, the whole story is one big one, but I counted three for series total of five. (laughs) Doctor Who often holds a mirror up to society, including much of the third Doctor's run. When it's so in your face, however, the overt politicization and lecturing really diminish the quality and enjoyment of the show. Give the audience something to think about. Don't smash it into our faces every two minutes. Still a good story. Best so far. Three out of five. (laughs) And Daniel adds, P.S. Is having an asteroid named after you really changing the universe? (laughs) Nice. You know what? Yeah, that's a fair point. I feel like maybe we talked about that actually in in the review. The, um, not the asteroids, the in-your-face nature, the the very sort of blatant oversimplification and in-your-face nature of of, um, some of these these messages. But I mean, still important, right? Um, Thank you very much, Daniel. Excellent mini. Who's next? In fact, who's last? Because if anyone sends in a fifth listener mini at this point, I'm sorry, I'm packing up the mic after this one. Uh, so, who's last? Well, it's Maxwell Rayner. Hello, Maxwell Rayner. Couple of stats. Who Back When podcast release date, 10th of April 2022. Correct. BBC broadcasting date, 21st of October 2018. Interesting. Uh, methinks we are catching up. Directed by Mark Tondrai, written by Mallory Black- Blackman and Chris Chibnall. Here we go. I hope this gets to you guys on time, says Max. Yes, it did. Uh, by the way, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm future minying here. Uh, I think this is my fault. I don't think that I put on the website when we were going to record. Uh, right. Max says, am I last this time? Why, yes, you are. <laughs> Rosa was a terrible episode. Or I thought until I watched it again. With nice characters and great actors and an okay storyline. Okay. Every time I went to watch this episode, I fell asleep. The last time I fell asleep during an episode was during Sleep No More, ironically. Here's a theory, though. Every third episode, there is a terrible episode. (laughs) Exception, Thin Ice, which I would rate a 3.9 out of 5, by the way. Also, have they slept? Because the timeline was like Doctor Regenerates, fall straight into the next episode, then straight into the next episode, and then straight into Rosa. Holy smokes, that's such a good point. Yeah. No, I think you're... I, I think you might be right. Okay, so it's been a week since I wrote that first part, and I finally sat through the whole episode, and it made me cry, says Max. Last time I cried was Face the Raven. I give this episode a 4.5 out of 5 for storyline, and a 4.1 out of 5 for characters, except for the time travel dude, he gets a 0 out of 5. <laughs> <laughs> Snap. Anyway, I will be back for the horrible N148 arachnids in the UK. Excellent. Can't wait. P.S. Hi, Marie, says Max. Hopefully you are well and back for this review. <laughs> yes, she is. And yes, she was. P.P.S. Fun fact. The first Who Back When episode I listened to was The Snowman. Okay. The first ever Doctor Who episode I watched was, you guessed it, The Snowman. No way. P.P.P.S. This episode gets a, oh, here we go. The summing up 3.5 out of 5 punched racists from that episode thin ice anyway i'll be back 
Max, fantastic stuff. Excellent, excellent stuff. People who are not Max, Max is available online. Find him on Twitter and on Instagram, the gram, at the true Misty. All in one word. Thank you very much, Max. And thank you very much, everyone who sent something in. Right, let's go back to the show and close this one up. Bing bong. And barring future Leons, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, future Leon. <laughs> Great job, future Leon. <laughs> this isn't the end of Who Back When or Doctor Who. What's up next, everybody? Well, next up, there's probably going to be a classic Who episode uh, featuring uh, Jim Cakes and yours truly. We're going to be talking about the caves of Androzoni. Oh, so just another, last, just another classic episode. No big deal. The very last Fifth Doctor serial. <gasps> Holy smokerinis and cheesecakes. Uh, I'm so excited. Oh, my goodness. Oh, uh, crazy amounts of excitement tune in for that podcast land after that well after that we'll have another new who the arachnids in the uk <laughs> i hear that's great <laughs> can't wait what journalists have you been hearing this from you need to update your sources <laughs> and in the audio channel because leon misses peter davison already the next up will be the gathering oh Okay. <laughs> and because you missed Peter Davison already, what's going to be the next bonus episode? Excellent question. The next bonus episode undoubtedly is going to be the Fifth Doctor retrospective. Uh, we're going to we're, we're moving into Colin Baker territory, but before we do so, we want to take a look back at the Fifth Doctor. A slight tangent from our last audio review of the Reaping. Have you met Perry yet? Yes, yes. We've had one episode of Perry, dude. Ch- uh, check out the latest Classic Who episode, Planet of Fire. It's it's bonkers for starters, and Perry is, I think, at once more and less annoying in it. <laughs> okay. Sounds very enticing. It's great. Until then, until the next time, you can follow us online. Marie, you're up first. Where are you to be found in the interwebs? Well, and the, I can be yeah. found on uh, on Instagram at Hamat and Jelly. Uh, those, well, those are, are three, three of my, of my favorite, favorite things. things. Mine too. <laughs> <laughs> Leon, how about you? Excellent question. Well, you can find me on Twitter. High five me online. I will high five you right back. I can be found at Ponkin, P O N K E N. Wow, that's one completely indecipherable thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just spelled it out for you. <laughs> what does it what mean? about you, Drew? I've said it a million times. You know what? <laughs> Follow me on Twitter and ask me, and I'll tell you. Ah, <laughs> the nice. perfect way to 10,000 followers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Drew, what about you? Why, I've constructed a Twitter handle out of three of my favourite things. Drew, obviously, back, because that's what Lumber he used support. to stand yep. up. Yep. And <laughs> when, which is where we are now, in time. At Drew Back When. <laughs> Excellent branding and incredibly relevant. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it, Podcast Land. Thank you so much for your contributions and your listen-butions. And <laughs> catch you next time for a terrible episode. Until then, cha-chao. <laughs> Be right next to each other. Rock on. Um, toodaloo. <laughs> Bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. 
Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?